0: Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us. We really do feel honored. Uh, I think it was wonderful of the conference to save the best for last. And uh, um, I'm really excited to be here today. As Phil said, I'm Joanne Barefoot. I'm CEO and co-founder of AIR, the Alliance for Innovative Regulation, a nonprofit working on these issues. And um, I'm a former regulator myself uh, at the OCC. And our speaker is Jaime Werke, who leads FINRA's innovation uh, program, vice president at FINRA. I have the honor of serving on your FinTech advisory committee.
1: We have the honor of having you serve.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. And I tell them all the time, I'm on quite a few advisory uh, bodies, and FINRA's is the most interesting and valuable one that I serve on because you're always at the cutting edge. And your program is really world-class. I mean, we, my organization has a chance to see a lot of what's going on around the world among regulators. And FINRA is one of the leading, if not the leading, organization um, working on these kinds of issues. So we're going to talk about uh, what you're doing, and then we're going to talk about their particular initiative to create a machine readable rule book, which potentially has the possibility of leading to machine uh, executable regulation to some extent, even. We shall see how that goes. So, welcome, Jaime. And um, if you just start by telling us about the innovation work of FinCEN broadly, or FinCEN, FINRA broadly, it would be great.
1: It's been a long day, but thank you for those kind words, Joanne. And thank you for the die-hard folks who managed to make it to the last panel. Um, So, our Office of Financial Innovation was opened about four years ago, and broadly speaking it's really designed to facilitate innovation in a way that's consistent with our broader mandate, which is investor protection and market integrity. Um, We do this as many forms, but uh, we're kind of, the way we're structured, we're organized into three groups. Um, One one of the groups really focuses on emerging products and trends. So things that are emerging in the securities industry that are likely to have an impact, uh, whether it be kind of within one particular forum or more broadly within the securities industry. Um, Another group focuses on specifically on innovation. So this is things like AI, and I know everyone's interested in generative AI and different uses cases now, Uh, but also looking forward to things like quantum computing, Open, open banking, which we just heard about in the last panel. Um, um, things like uh, the use of apps and digital engagement practices by firms. So broadly speaking, innovation in the marketplace is likely to have uh, an effect in the way broker-dealers or other financial institutions conduct their business or in their business processes. And finally, uh, we actually just recently opened up a blockchain lab that's focused on uh, building various types of regulatory tools that allow us to have uh, a better window in when we oversee firms are operating in that space, as well as building up expertise within the organization on issues related to digital assets and blockchain technology.
0: So I remember a conference call with your team a few years ago. I don't remember exactly when it was, but you had a couple of people who were working on trying to create a taxonomy of one of your rules uh, to see if you might be able to make it machine readable. And the thing that always struck me about this was that they said, this is the like unsexiest, driest, most low tech thing in the world. Cause we're sitting in a windowless conference room and we're reading the regulation and we're filling out a spreadsheet to try to connect the terminology which as we do try to make these things machine readable, we learn that there's a lot of inconsistent terminology in a lot of the rules. But that project has now borne fruit. So tell us about it.
1: Yes, and I think it's actually led to something that is a little bit more flashy and it's actually available on our website right now. Um, so, you know, in a simplest sense, a machine readable rule book is really something that's designed to make the rules easier to comprehend, both for individuals and for computers that may be looking to decipher which portions of a rule relate to a thing a firm would be concerned about. So, how we went about designing that is really first um, doing uh, building a taxonomy that takes the rule books and kind of deconstructs it based on basic terms that you or I or, or someone who may not even be operating in the space may be familiar with. So basic business terms, uh, basic uh, kind of general terms that people use. So for things like account opening or disclosures or record keeping, um, and then taking that and categorizing the rules based off of those terms. So for example, if a rule may not say disclosure in the rule, but we know it relates to a disclosure term, we would tag that as disclosure, uh, with the with a disclosure tag. Um, if a rule would relate to a certain type of firm, for example, a trading and execution firm, we tag that rule and say this relates to trading execution firm. Um, what this allows you to do through that tagging process, once we're able to create a taxonomy, is be able to pull out the portion of the rule that you're most concerned about. So in a similar way where if you were to go on Amazon or another uh, kind of shopping site and say, look, I I'm cons- I'm- care about buying a chair. I want this chair to have um, a certain height, Um, I want it to be a certain color from a certain maker, uh, a certain certain brand. And then you pull out this list of chairs that fit that criteria. If you're a firm or an individual, you could say, well, I am, um, you know, I'm I'm a clearing and caring firm, and I care about uh, debt securities, and I wanna know what record keeping requirements apply. And I'll pull out for you the the portion of the rule book, the rules specifically, that deal with those specific requirements based on kind of those general uh, uh, business type terms Um, and that empowers people to be able to kind of figure out what are some of the key requirements so if i'm a startup firm and i may not necessarily have a lawyer when i begin but i want to know what things i'll have to build before i even kind of become registered with finra um, and this will allow you to kind of have at least have a first pass of that now obviously it 's not meant to provide legal advice, so before you actually come in, you probably will have to eventually get a lawyer. But uh, at least for a first pass, it lets, lets you have an idea of what the types of things may apply. So we built that taxonomy, that was the initial phase. The second phase was delivering building a, a delivery mechanisms so we, we built two d- different delivery mechanisms that are both actually available on FINRA's website now. One is basically a user interface um, that's, uh, that we call first, which is basically an enhanced search tool. Um, and what that allows you to do in this way that I just described right now, you could go in and say, list the type of firms you're, you are, list the types of service that you care about, list the type of kind of products that you care about, and just click these, you know, basically check these boxes. And I'll pull down for you the portion of those rules to relate to what you're concerned about. Now, this is a prototype. So we've only done this for 40 40 of our rules. But those 40 rules, based off Google Analytics that we did, represent about 50% of the page views that we get for our rules. So they're the most substantive, they're the most frequently cited rules that we we have. Um, And then the other delivery mechanisms that we have is an API process. And you might have heard in the last panel to talk about API, the ability to pull in kind of data. What this allows you to do is basically pull in all the text from our rules on a real-time basis so that if our rules are updated tomorrow, that that update will be all similarly updated. But it also allows you to pull in the metadata that's attached to the rules, which is this this tag taxonomy that's embedded in it. Um, and that, once you pull in all that data, so if you're like a large firm or a fintech firm and you have your own policies and procedures, they're similarly tagged, you'll have a way of being able to decipher how your rules may need to change based off of, how your own policies and procedures may need to be changed based the way on our rules are changed. For for example, if we have a rule related to an advertising requirement that's changed, you we would, and that advertising requirement gets tagged with requirements around, for example, disclosure, you would know that you'd have for your policies and procedures disclosed your requirements that we need to get updated from a computer to computer system without any person actually even being involved in that process. So then you can focus in that that person on kind of how that would go about doing that as opposed to kind of knowing they need to do it and which which portions of your rules, which portions of your policy and procedures that would relate to.
0: So you and I work in the world of regulation and we find this incredibly exciting and we realize it's... You know, to most people, they would probably be falling asleep listening to us. But talk about the vision for what could come about from what you're building. How would the regulatory world for broker-dealers be different in terms of compliance difficulties, costs, barriers to entry, uh, the expenses of being a regulator, the expenses of complying, all of it?
1: Yeah, you know, at, at the end of the day, this tool is really designed to serve a purpose, right? And that purpose is to, one, make it easier and make more efficient and more effective for firms to be compliant, right? And what that does is really to a more uh, uh, kind of compliant environment for investors. Uh, and, and investors, therefore, are able to operate in a space that's, uh, that has less risk for them. Um, and my sense is that most of the firms we regulate really do want to engage in a compliant, uh, compliant culture. Um, but sometimes, especially for some of the smaller firms or some of the firms that may be less savvy, they may miss things or they may not be aware of how to go about doing this. And this tool is really designed to do that. Now, we, in addition to kind of uh, issuing uh, this tool, uh, we, the two delivery mechanisms I, I talked about, we also issued a special notice um, and the special notice went through in painstaking detail kind of the process we went about in kind of building uh, this machine-readable rule book. Uh, but it also t- asked a series of questions about what we should do going forward. Um, how should we kind of take it from this prototype basis to something that'll be more full-fledged? Should we have um, kind of uh, 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 an open source mechanism where, where kind of we, we've developed the initial taxonomy, others can take that and build onto it? Uh, based on an open source community that we may support or work with in some manner? Should we go through a process of kind of tagging the rules using kind of various AI techniques so that we can kind of get a large set of the rules done in a relatively short period of time? Should we work with a vendor to help us do some of this? Um, So laying out different options and and, and talking with individuals about how best to do that, with the end goal being, as I mentioned, creating a, a system that's more... Um, easier to comply with and is more effective and efficient, uh, and and hopefully result in cost savings for the member firms, but also create a a system that's better for investors as well.
0: So let's bring in generative AI and uh, chat GPT. um, There was a panel earlier today talking about a project where somebody has downloaded some portion of the sec rules and fed them into generative ai i heard i'm going to meet soon with somebody who's got a project where they took the unfair and deceptive acts and practices guidance of the cfpb and put that into a generative ai and now you can feed in the um uh advertising material or marketing material on a product and look for red flags on on unfair practices Um, what's the potential and what are the potential pitfalls also because it does seem like it is a logical line of thinking that it could be helpful with what you're doing
1: yeah, so you know the issues around AI is ones we've been looking at for a number of years. Um, uh, just a, a couple of years back, actually, we issued a report on um, artificial intelligence use in the securities industry, um, and it really set forth, kind of talking about the different various the various different uh, AI techniques, including things like deep learning, machine learning, natural language processing, a computer vision, um, and talked about what firms are actually doing with these t- techniques. Um, kind of in our world where we're seeing it is really um, uh, communications with clients. So this can take in the form of various chatbots and you can you can definitely see how generative AI can be used in that context, right? Um, uh, but also things like virtual assistants. Um, so like you may have, um, Google Home or um, Amazon Alexa that you can communicate with and say you know there's some firms have actually partnered with 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 these firms uh, some broker dealer firms have partnered with them where you can say well what's my account balance and we'll give you your account balance or you can say um, what were my what were the last things that I spent money on and it'll give you the last several items you spent money on or you could say things like you know potentially some uh, although Technically, this can be done today. I'm not aware firms are actually doing this. I want to buy X, Y, and Z stock, right? And you could have a process whereby just communicating, you you can actually buy those 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 those, those securities. Um, generative AI also could potentially be used in this context, right? Both in terms of potentially generating ideas of the types of things that you may want to do, which you know. Raises a whole host of issues. So I don't think we're there to, there yet from regulatory standpoints, but be used in a way to facilitate some of those communications and dialogue. Um, the other place where we, we've seen and used in communications with the public is around um, primarily kind of understanding what people are visiting on people's websites um, and also kind of what investment portfolio that they have, um, information they may find through open banking about what they have in other places and using AI tools to feed that information to an actual registered rep or investment advisor to be able to generate ideas for what types of products they maybe want invested in the future or what types of gaps may be there in their financial portfolio. Now, again, this could be another place where generative AI may may take a foothold as well. a couple of the other main bucketed areas where we saw AI being used included things like the investment process. So this includes things like trading, um, as well as for por- uh, portfolio management. Now, in the trading front, I would just note that uh, it was recently announced in the press that Citadel had entered into an agreement with Open Finance to use a licensed version of of, of, of chat and 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 the kind of the the algorithm that's applied there. So you could definitely see a world in which that could feed into the world of trading, right? Um, and then in terms of portfolio management, again kind of that those issues would potentially come up and it's, it's one where we've already seen AI being used quite broadly. And finally the last bucket where we're really seeing it used in firms was in the context of operations. So this is in the context of things like, AML, KYC, other types of compliance related issues, um, kind of uh, risk management and other types of, of issues as well.
0: You mentioned to me that you all have been doing a little bit of experimenting with chat GPT and that it did produce one hallucination, uh, invented a role for you.
1: Yeah, that's right. You know, I had uh, some of my staff take a look at like, you know, what are the things you could do with, with chat GPT? Um, and um, they asked it a question of of something like, you know, what are the ru- what are the FINRA rules that apply to senior investors? Um, and it listed five rules. And, and, and it gave a good summary of four of those rules. But the fifth rule it listed wasn't a rule at all. It doesn't exist. Um, and it was basically a compilation, I guess, of other rules. and But it stated it as, it gave it a rule number, and it stated it as a rule. So those are, and, and that's not unique to, like, this specific case. There's other places where, General AI is really a tool designed to kind of feed information and produce a result based off kind of keywords that it finds. It's not really a fact-finding tool. So, because of that, and, and, and the way people use it may not align with each other. So you lead to these kind of potential false results that are presented as facts. Um, and if people don't know the limitations of the tool and take those as facts, it can produce kind of very um, risky results.
0: We only have a few minutes left, but I want to take the opportunity to ask you to talk a little bit about FINRA's work in the cloud. Uh, you've, been doing, you've been using AI for years, monitoring the environment in the broker-dealer world. And uh, last I looked, and it, it's not recent, you were a very, uh, very high user of AWS services in the cloud. And um, my own view is that to get the, the benefits of all these Uh, great new technologies, both the industry and the agencies are going to need to move into cloud computing environments. And I think it'd be great. And most regulators are not. Although I was just in London, the Financial Conduct Authority has just finished completing its journey into cloud computing. But could you just share a little bit of what your experience has been? And maybe if you have any advice for people on that? Sure. I, you know,
1: at FINRA, we're really one of the uh, the pioneers in terms of cloud adoption and kind of, as Joanne alluded to, really have one of the highest usage, range, uh, usage rates within uh, AWS. Um, but but I, I would note, you know, it's it's not just us, that's, FINRA, that's going into a, cl- a cloud. A lot of the firms we regulate are also moving into the cloud. Um, And we actually did uh, another report that talked about cloud computing in the securities industry, talking about the migration process for firms, um, what were some of the issues that they were encountering as they were doing that, um, and talked about specifically what are some of the regulatory considerations firms should be taking account as they were doing it. I would know, just maybe it's tied this back into machine-readable rulebook, which is uh, I guess where we started. Um, when we develop the process for the API protocol, when we develop the process for this user interface, all that data that's housed is housed in the cloud. Um, so we are an active user and, and uh, uh, most of the data that, that, that's in FINRA is housed through the cloud and our interfaces are therefore made easier for others to connect to as well.
0: I want to thank you and I want to thank this uh, audience for staying with us right to the end of the conference. It's been a wonderful conference and would you join me in thanking uh, Jaime Workey.